Thanks, Diane. On the screen is a man named Jacob Smith. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jacob Smith, uh, but he will turn 16 this year. Uh, has anyone, does anyone know Jacob? Heard of Jacob before? In the paper, is it? Is that right? I think so. Really? That's amazing. I was not. In, I was not expecting that. There you go. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I think it might be a different person. This guy is a, uh, a skier. He was made legally blind when he was young because of a tumor on his optic nerve. And at the age of ten, uh, he took up, or he didn't take up skiing. He continued to ski, and uh, was keen to ski one of the biggest mountains in Montana in the USA. It's called the Big Coolwar, at least I think that's how you pronounce it, I'm not quite sure. But it's a massive mountain and he was going to uh, uh, ski all the way down this uh, particular mountain. As he got to the top of the mountain though, he realised he's got no phone with him. No phone with him, so he can't connect with his dad. He decided to ski anyway. But as someone who was legally blind and who could not see too much out of his eyes at all, he had a stack on the way down and broke his femur in 60 places. That's that, muscle, that's that bone right there, the big one. Well, he eventually recovered from this big accident, only to continue skiing. Jacob Smith continues to ski to this very day. And he continues to go after mountains that are bigger and uglier than any of the ones that he's tried before. Except in his words, he now makes sure that he takes his dad with him. My dad helps me through the harder spots, he says. How does that happen? Well, his dad skis just a few metres in front of him. And Jacob carries with him just a small walkie-talkie. Uh, some sort of uh, communication device that allows him to hear his father saying, just a slight left here, just a slight right there. And even though he has once broken his femur in 60 places and can't see where he's going, he has the confidence to go down all sorts of places, all sorts of mountains that I wouldn't even dream of walking down. Where does the confidence come from for a young man like that? Well, probably partly the stupidity of youth, but probably partly the fact that his dad is guiding him. His dad is guiding him every step of the way down these mountains, helping him where he needs the help, assisting him where he needs assistance, and he gains the confidence, yes, from his own ability, sure, but ultimately from his dad, who is telling him where to go, what to do, how to get down the mountain. And so he can puff out his chest and say, I can do it. Today we, can conclude, we conclude our series in Compelling Christ. And we look together at the confidence that God brings to each and every Christian. As he guides us along the way. As he guides us along the path of life to the life that he has for us in the Lord Jesus. We started our series looking at the compelling nature of who Christ is. As we draw our attention to him, he is compelling and brings about change in our life. We heard in week two the compelling nature of the community of God's people. And last week, the compulsion we have to change when we know the Lord Jesus. And today, we'll see the confidence that God offers to all of us who know the Lord Jesus, where we can find it and how we can live it. At the end, I'm going to ask uh, uh, you to submit a few questions as well. And I might answer those at the end from Psalm 16. Let me pray. 
Heavenly Father, be with us this morning as we look to your word. Give us your grace, not only to understand it, but to put it into practice. We always need your help in this, so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some people are, by nature, I'm not going to get you to put your hand up if this is true for you, by nature, anxious people. Anxious people. Worrying people. People who worry about the past. People who worry about the future. People who worry about the present. People who worry about how much they worry. People who worry about things they're in control of. People who worry about things they're out of control of. I've just spoken about myself at this point, let alone any of you. But this passage teaches us that we can live not arrogantly, as if it's some sort of self-confidence we have, but confidently in God. In God and in who he is. We can walk into this world as we leave this place today confident, strong, not because of ourselves, but because of what God offers to us. In Psalm 16, in verses 7 to 11, there are four things that we see in these verses that God offers to those who trust in the Lord Jesus. Four things that, if you're taking notes, begin with the letter C. I don't do that very often, but here we go. Four things that begin with the letter C that God gives to build our confidence in this world. First of all, verse 7, he provides counsel. Look at verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. We live, don't we, more, probably more than ever before in the day of the counsellor. Someone that gives us advice. Someone that's a third party outside of our own life who gives us direction in life and tells us where to go. Maybe it is a, a counsellor themselves or a, a psychologist or a life coach or a career mentor or, or whatever the case may be. Now, these things are not bad. These things are good when used right. These things are perfectly fine, but we need to understand that the people that deliver that counsel or advice to us are always imperfect people because we ourselves are imperfect people. But God's counsel is always perfect. God's advice is always perfect. God's directions are always perfect in, in his word to us. And so we might live in the day of the counsellor, but we live in the day of the God who is the one who gives perfect counsel. Have you ever found sleeping hard at times? Oh, it happened to me this week, four o'clock in the morning. I'm awake, fully awake, worrying about all sorts of different things. See what the second half of verse 7 says? In the night also, my heart instructs me. They're the times where it's the worst, isn't it? Can't talk to anyone, can't do anything. You're just up at 4 o'clock in the morning and no one's ready to listen to you, and fair enough too. But the Lord's counsel guides us even in the night. And so this passage gives us confidence for the follower of the Lord Jesus. For life in the future and life now, his word is our counsel. And because he is counselling us, because he is speaking to us through life, we are able to gain great confidence in this world. God counsels us and this leads to the confidence that comes only through him. Secondly, comfort. 
verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David, the psalm writer here says, he will not be shaken because of the presence of God with him. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Have you ever gone into a place, an unknown place by yourself? What we want at that moment is a bit of a wingman, don't we? That's the reason that word exists, a wingman. We want someone to walk alongside us. We go into a room that we don't know, we've never been there before, and the people we don't know in front of us. If we walk into that unknown place with someone that does know either the people or the venue or a combination of the two, suddenly we're a whole lot more confident as we walk into that place. Well, verse 8 is telling us we have the Lord at our right hand, just like David himself did. And so we can walk into this world that's sometimes unknown, sometimes strange, sometimes difficult, remembering that we walk with the Lord God himself. This is the comfort that is offered to us in Christ. The Lord is set before us. David says, he is at my right hand, so I will not be shaken. Here's the comfort that comes to the Christian person that leads to confidence. I can walk into this world, not arrogantly, but with comfort because I will not be shaken by the God because God is with me. Thirdly, confident in the face of corruption. There's no doubt, is there, that this world worries about death. We try to build in our own life hedges around our life. Remember the book of Job? Satan says to God, you have built a hedge around him. Well, God may not have built a hedge around us, but we try to build hedges around our own lives, don't we? Protecting us from everything possibly that could go wrong. And especially protecting us from death. And though death is never an enjoyable thing, ever, it is something that does not need to be feared by the follower of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now we know from the New Testament that verse 10 is fulfilled in the person of Jesus himself. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's also about us in connection to Jesus. Those of us who are united with Christ, have died with Christ and we've been raised with him, as Ephesians 2 tells us. And just like the Lord Jesus, who is the first fruits of the resurrection, so we too will not see corruption. We will be raised to new and eternal life, just like our big brother, the Lord Jesus was. And so we can stare down death with confidence. Not looking at it with enjoyment, but looking at it with confidence. I've told you before, but I'll say it again. As, a, as an 18-year-old young man, I sat in a congregation, just as you're doing today, and listened as the minister said, I've got terminal cancer and I've got less than six months to live. And I remember the congregation on the day. Tears everywhere. So sad, he was a wonderful man, Brian Kelly. But one thing that will never leave me is his supreme confidence. Brian was not worried about anything. 
except that his wife be taken care of in his absence. Everything else, supremely confident to stare down death, knowing that he will not be abandoned to Sheol and that the Holy One that he's been made by the Lord Jesus Christ will not see corruption. I wonder if the same thing could be said of us. Could be said of me. Could be said of you. Fourthly, our confidence comes in connection to God. Look at verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there, are fullness, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's fullness of joy and pleasures. You can see it here. Because God has made known the path of life. David says, I'm so connected to God that I know the path of life, both now and forevermore. And both now and forevermore, that derives joy in my life because I know the way that God is taking me. I don't know if you ever doubt, I do, from time to time, that God's way is the best way for our life. That when God says, live for the gospel cause... We might just think to ourselves that perhaps there's a better way of controlling the outcome and pattern of our life on our own strength. But we can confidently walk into a world that's saying that that way of life is silly because we have a connection with God such that he knows the path of our life both now and to come. And so here in verses 7 to 11, there are four reasons to have confidence in this world. God counsels us, speaks to us through, this, uh, through our life, through his word. We have it in the comfort that he is with us and we will not be shaken. We have it that we will uh, have confidence in the face of corruption and we have it with our connection with God. But why don't we always enjoy the confidence that he offers to us? Well, that comes down to us, doesn't it? It's a free offer, but we are so mixed people. Which brings us to the first half of this psalm. Once again, we need to be reminded of where to find this confidence. And the confidence comes from God himself. We had four C-based words last time. In these first six verses, there are five ways of finding the confidence that God offers. And they all start with P. Let's have a look at them together. Verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. The first place to find the confidence that God offers is in the protection that he provides. Verse 1 talks about us taking protection from the Lord, that he is our cover, our refuge, that he is watching over us. And we know this to be true from real life, don't we? Think of a little child. A little child, very young, is perfectly happy in any sort of room so long as they're in some way under the covering of their parents. And so the little child will most likely go to any person in the room, be held by any person in the room, so long as they can put eyes on their mother or their father. But as soon as they cannot put eyes on their mother and their father, mother and father's not watching over them anymore, all hell breaks loose, doesn't it? We know that feeling, we've seen it before. Just as that young child is confident to go to anyone in the presence of their watching parents, so too the Christian is confident 
because of the protection of God who watches over them. Secondly, verse 2, provision. Look at verse 2 there. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. No good apart from you. All good comes from God. Everything in your life. All the good comes from God because he is the provider. And so as the provider, as we look to him to provide for us, and we know this to be true, there we can have confidence that he will provide for us. Many of you know I've got two dogs. And those dogs can be pretty demanding at times. Especially first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, they know it's treat hour. That's when they're going to get their treats for the day. They're going to do what they do and they're going to get a treat for it. But they know who provides those things for them. They know uh, uh, who to go to. They know when to bark and wake us up. They know when to annoy us, to get us up out of bed so that we'll go and give them a treat. They know who provides for them. Now, you could call that sucking up or you could just call it smart. They know who the provider is. What's more, when they are with their provider, they have a sense of confidence. Now, again, it's just a breed of dog, I know that. But at the same time, when we are not around them, they fret. They're a bit worried. If we head out the door and they're not coming with us, they're a bit concerned, a bit worried. And we need to know that we are like that. God provides us confidence because he is our provider. And when we lose sight of the fact that he is our provider, our confidence levels will drop. We won't see that God is our provider. So we can find confidence in knowing God is our protection and God is our provision. But the third thing in this list is perhaps a little surprising to us. We find confidence in in God's people. Look at verse 3. As for the saints in the land... They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. This is a bit of a surprise in this, uh, in this psalm. All of a sudden, all this talk about God and his character, and then there's a, a, just a verse here about his people. But you see, as we gather with God's people, as we spend time with God's people, God has given us one another in order to provide that confidence that he alone can give. We're much more, aren't we, than just a bunch of acquaintances together. We are people who spend time together and in whom we should delight. Why? Well, it's not just because we're nice people, although I hope that's true of all of us, but there's something more going on here. There's a confidence that comes in the, in the beauty of God's people because we see God at work in them. So when we doubt that God is at work in our own lives, we can look to others and see God is at work in them and in them and in them. And God is real and active. He is at work not in individuals, but in a people. And so we can delight. And and when we see God at work in a people, we gain confidence. God is powerful to work in this world. Providing us not only with protection and provision, but a people. And so David says, the Lord is my portion, verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful 
inheritance. This sort of language of portion is, is kind of that food and drink language. That God is the, the nourishment and sustenance that King David needs. You know that feeling? It's been a busy day. Come home, you haven't eaten all that much throughout the day. Just a couple little snacks here and there. And you come home to a very hearty meal. And as you sit down to the hearty meal, you know that this is not only going to feed you, but fuel you. You know that feeling as you come home? Well, David is literally saying that the Lord is that for his life. God keeps him going. He is his nourishment and sustenance. He is his portion. I wonder, can you say the same thing? That in life generally, do you run on your own steam? Or could you say the Lord is my portion? See here, this is where we can get the confidence that God offers to us because we understand that he is the one that empowers life. He is our portion, but not only that, he is also our protection, our provision, and he provides us with his people. It's too easy in our own strength, isn't it, to try and garner confidence for life in our own strength. And we can find the, these P things of protection and provision and a people and portion in other places. We can take the idols of our age and seek to try and make them fit these criteria. And so we turn things like family into an idol or work into an idol or possessions into an idol or kids into an idol or comfort, or finances, or the list could go on. These things that are idols can take over our life as we seek to get these things to fit that mould, to be our protection, to be our provision, to be our people, to be our portion. But the final P word in these verses tell us to prevent that idolatry. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. To follow those other gods, those other idols that are good things in our world that we can take to the ultimate is to run after disaster, according to David, according to God's word. And so where does... Our confidence come from? Well, it comes from the Lord. And how do we find that confidence in a practical sense? Well, we once again come to see who God is. It's in his character that we find the confidence that he alone gives to us. And the more we can understand him as our protection, our provision, our people, our portion, the more we can prevent those idols taking over, the more confidence we will have to go out into this world because we'll see that God gives us counsel. God gives us comfort and connection and confidence in the face of death. So then as we finish up this morning, let's ask ourselves this question. What does confident Christian living actually look like for us? Well, in the first place, we've got to say this. Confident Christian living must start with the character of God. That's why it's compelling confidence. It's compelling confidence because we must start with God. We will not find this confidence inside ourselves. We will only find it when we gaze upon God, his qualities and his character and find the confidence that he alone provides. That is step one 
and must remain our only way forward. And so with that as an assumption, as we head out into the world, what does Christian living look like? Well, it looks like taking a risk. Taking a risk for the Lord Jesus. How can we do that? Well, it's very hard, isn't it, to take a risk for the Lord? In fact, why should we do so? Well, this passage has already reminded us that all we have, verse 2, is in him. And that he will not allow, verse 10, his holy one to see corruption. We have given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ an eternal destiny and a presence with God all the time. And so we can stand out and risk for the Lord Jesus, knowing we have actually nothing to lose. And so it means that we can stand firm as a Christian, as a follower of the Lord Jesus in our workplaces or in our families where people actively seek to denigrate the work of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean we, we become argumentative or deliberately annoying or frustrating, but it does mean that we can be firmly Christian, sharing in a generous and civil way what it is that we believe. This is not always easy, is it? I've always said I've got the easy job, I speak to you, but as you head into your workplaces, you have to speak to people that are antagonistic to the cause of the gospel. So why can we stand firm as a Christian in our workplaces and in our families? Why? Because we will not be shaken. We will not be shaken, verse 8 tells us, because he is always with us. He is always at our right hand. So this week, as you head into antagonistic places, stand firm as a follower of the Lord Jesus. Not being annoying or argumentative, but being firmly, biblically Christian in those places, knowing the Lord is always with you. Secondly, we can invest in the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's risky, isn't it? In a world that's telling us to seek many other things instead of the kingdom of God, to seek the kingdom of God looks silly. It looks outrageous. To seek the kingdom of God first is to say to the world around us, I will make all of those other things that you value second place. But do not forget that it's the Lord who gives us counsel. It's to the Lord who directs our life. He tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He tells us that that's the best way to live. He guides us and instructs us in real life and tells us that's the direction to go. We can confidently step out into this world investing first in the kingdom rather than investing in our own lives because the Lord is with us, guiding us and telling us which way to go and in his path of life there is fullness of joy. Thirdly, we can take a risk in sharing about Jesus Christ. We've already talked today, haven't we, about inviting people, just inviting people to church and using, uh, using the conversations that might arise to invite people to church. But if we're honest with ourselves, that is a risk. It's a bit scary. I agree with you. It is difficult. 
It is hard to talk to a friend or a family member or even just an acquaintance and say, uh, I'm a Christian, would you like to come and hear something about the faith that I believe in? But we can confidently do so. We can confidently do so, not because God will always give for us the answer that we want from those friends, family members or acquaintances, but because God will be with us at every step of the way. As verse 2 says, I have no good apart from you. We can risk rejection for the benefit of others because ultimately God will never, ever reject us. Verse 10, you will never let your Holy One see corruption. People may well reject us, but God will never reject us. Fourthly, we can live differently in this world. This world has told us out of its atheistic background, that we must squeeze the sponge of life and get absolutely everything out of it, making the most of every opportunity to get every experience we possibly can. That's why we have a phrase like bucket list, isn't it? But do you really need to squeeze the sponge of life when life has been given to you forevermore? We can confidently walk into this world and say, I do not need to squeeze every last thing out of this world like everyone around is telling me. Because I have new and eternal life, pleasures forevermore. I don't need to seek the pleasures of this world because I have pleasures that will last forevermore at the right hand of God himself. And then finally, identity. The world around us is telling us, and particularly so at the current moment, as Steve prayed just earlier, that we find our our identity within ourselves. Be who you want to be. Be whoever you really are. Live for yourself. Express yourself. Whether it's in your way of life or your sexuality or a combination of the two, that's what the world around us is telling us. But we can confidently head into this world telling us that we do not have to deal with an identity that stems from within ourselves. Our identity has been given from outside ourselves. Outside ourselves from the God who made us. Outside ourselves from the God who redeemed us. We are God's children, but more than that, we are his redeemed children. We can confidently step out into this world who tells us You're not quite who you are unless you live for yourself. And we can have our identity in Christ. And so we confidently walk out into this world, not because we've got something to offer, but because God himself is a God of wonder. And as we dwell upon who he is, we can gain confidence from him and from his character. Well, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to hear just uh, one example of of confident living and just one one example that we uh, can talk about and then answer a question or two. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in this psalm that opens up to us the confidence that you offer as you deliver counsel to us and comfort to us and confidence in the face of, of corruption and death and a connection with you. But we know that all of these things are only come and are understood and are felt as we draw our eyes and attention to you. So please help us to do that and see your character towards us, that we might gain that confidence that you provide to walk into this world ready to serve and love you. Heavenly Father, please continue to teach us, we ask, 
of this great truth as we draw close to you, that we might be compelled to be confident because of who you are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask uh, Lee to come forward for just a moment. You can welcome her to the front. I'm going to give Lee number two, Dave. Thank you. Hello, Lee. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Now, um, I wanted to talk about a, a situation um, with you uh, where you did step out and it was maybe a bit, perhaps a bit scary and invite uh, someone to come along. Um, tell us about what happened and what led to that point of making an invitation to come along to, to a church like this. We often talk about, or Steve often talks about inviting people to church. And um, it was an Easter and we had those flyers. So I'd done my letterbox drop and I'd done my bit. I thought, good. But you know how you feel compelled or encouraged sometimes by God to do something? And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. I'll just do my letterbox drop. But he keeps being persistent. And, and I thought, oh, you know, I was really nervous and really thinking, oh, I don't want to muck up things. I don't like conflict. I don't like you know, people not liking me. But God kept saying, you know, go and invite. And I thought, oh, okay. So I went and bought some hot cross buns because it was an Easter time. I had my little flyer and I actually went next door. And we had some lovely neighbours, new neighbours next door and had um, two young girls. And we di I didn't want to muck up our relationship. They were just so lovely. But I thought, I really enjoy going to church at Easter time particularly. And I felt loved and cared for in our church, so I thought I wanted to share that with them. So I went up to Coles and bought just the Coles brand Easter buns and um, took my flyer with me and went next door and knocked on the door and I was so nervous. I prayed and prayed and prayed about it first because it wasn't me. God just kept nudging me. So I took them next door and knocked on the door and I just sort of said, hey, you might be interested in coming up to the church at Easter time. Here's some hot cross buns. Here's the flyer. I'll tell you all about it. And then I quickly ducked off. <laughs> but I thought at least I'd done what God said to do. And I thought, we'll wait and see. Because yeah. they didn't say anything one way or the other. Very good. Now, I, that's part of the story I didn't know about the hot cross buns. I know the other part of the story. That's really good. So um, what ended up, well done on doing that invitation. What ended up happening afterwards? Um, was the invitation accepted, rejected? How did you work out whether or not that was the case? It was a bit non-committal. It was, oh, thanks, okay. You know, and they took the hot cross buns and the flyer, but it, it sort of left it up in the air. So I didn't know one way or the other what would happen. So I thought, I'll just leave it with God and, and see what he does, you know. But they didn't say, oh, go away, crazy old lady, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really encouraging for me anyway. That's good. That's good. Now, um, we know that you've actually extended different invitations at different times uh, over the years, and this one was a little little while ago, uh, but uh, but you did extend it to the neighbours, and the neighbours didn't end up coming. That Easter, they actually turned up, and I thought, oh, they're here! Oh, this is great! So I invited, I introduced them to other people at church, but I thought, that's amazing! God asked me to do it, and they came. This is so cool! So I thought it really did give me confidence that God knows what he's doing. He knows you to ask, and you had that, that little pushing, that little encouraging. If you ignore it, which I was quite pleased to do, I thought, no, I don't need to do that. But God kept at me. And just that little whisper in my ear all the time. And I thought, he does it repeatedly. And sometimes I'm not so receptive. 
but this particular occasion, it's great. Mind you, it didn't work with our latest neighbours. I tried again, yep. and they haven't come, but yep. I will keep pushing. <laughs> so that's, a, that's an important distinction, is that it's not confidence in the outcome, because the outcome's always after the Lord in, the, mm. in that way, but it's confidence to know that, that the Lord is with you regardless of the situation at hand. Now, on that particular occasion, the, do those people still go to church? They do. They do. Who, who, who are they? With? I think they're known to us. They're very known to us, and I'm so blessed. Um, I get to sing with Jen, and and Matt is just all over the place now. So Jen and Matt Alder, and they're beautiful girls, have been coming ever since we asked. It's great. Very encouraging, isn't it? So it's really exciting to hear those types of stories. That was a while ago, and as Lee said, she's delivered invitations in, in the past as well, uh, sort of uh, more, more recent past, and, and it hasn't necessarily worked out. Uh, but... Uh, that's, uh, that's not about the confidence of outcome, but the confidence that God gives to deliver those particular invitations. So you might like to put your hands together for Lee. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for that. It's got nothing to do with me. It was all God. I agree. That's good. I appreciate you saying that. That's absolutely right, because he's the one that delivers the confidence, isn't he, along the way. All right, we're going to take uh, 90 seconds or so. You can reflect on what Lee said as well, if you like, uh, and uh, maybe ask a question or two. I'm going to come back in uh, 90 seconds or so. And answer a couple if there are any. And if there's not, then we'll just sing our final song. Let's uh, take some time to do that. Slido.com. Just the one question so far. If there's another one, please please keep sending it through. Did uh, This is from verse 10 in the passage. Did Christ see corruption in his death or he just knew it was there and it was his job but didn't see it? Not quite sure what the second part of the question is saying, but um, did Christ see corruption in his death? Well, the point that the New Testament writers take of that verse is they take it to talk about the resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead... Uh, he rose from the dead bodily and completely. So in Acts chapter 13, uh, we find uh, in, in compa- comparing and contrasting King David, who died and did see corruption, he, he died and he's still buried somewhere in the Middle East, uh, compared to Jesus, uh, that's, uh, that's where uh, the book of Acts takes us. Um, so it says, it says this, this he has fulfilled to us, Uh, their children by raising Jesus as it also says in the second psalm you are my son today I have begotten you and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption he has spoken of this in this way I will give you the blessings I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David and as he also says in another psalm 
you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, he who, whom God raised up did not see corruption. So it's, a, it's about the resurrection and the fact that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead and that's where the New Testament writers take that verse in verse 10 but it's also what's true of us uh, as followers of the Lord Jesus connected to him he's the first fruits of the resurrection and we will all be raised like he was as well and so we can sing so let's stand and sing to God be the glory